Welcome to Solo 2.0, an empowerment podcast hosted by two sisters living in LA, making their way through the health and wellness world. I'm Ryan Birch. And I'm Jess Dukan. Each week, we're committed to bringing you conversations with risk-taking, resilient guests from diverse backgrounds, interviews with experts on controversial or misunderstood topics that will expand your perspective, and lively roundtable discussions with our mom, hormone health educator, Candace Birch. We're driven to provide the support and motivation needed to ignite growth, confidence, and purpose so you can step into that 2.0 version of you. We can't wait to dig into these conversations and hope you'll join us every week for a new episode. Let's get into it. Welcome back to the Solo 2.0 podcast. I'm Jess, holistic health coach and founder of Body Bliss by Jess. And I'm Ryan, co-founder of Your Hormone Balance. So this episode marks the start of a special two-week series we are doing focused specifically on nutrition, including two episodes a week for this week and next as well. We will be sharing interviews with five different educators who will help us understand different diets and focus on the importance of food as medicine, stress management, and the importance of eating real whole foods to live your best life. So are you curious about keto? Have you ever considered going vegan? Are you wondering if there's something in between that might be a better fit for you? Well, this series will give you an inside look into each of these unique lifestyles so you can get curious and play around with the concepts that you feel most drawn to. So neither of us really prescribe to any one diet, and we do try to practice a more intuitive approach, meaning that we eat what we know makes us feel good in the moment. Um, But of course, some days are easier than others, and we still have our struggles too. But I think for me, I really do follow a more Mediterranean diet, I would say. I think Mm -hmm. specifically having so many gut issues, my experience till till now has been that uh, sort of lean proteins work well for me. Healthy carbs like sweet potatoes and sourdough bread are easier for me to digest. (laughs) Yeah, and I, you know, I have tried briefly going vegan or... um, you know, even doing a, a way more high fat sort of keto approach. And it actually was just really not good for my gut. Mm -hmm. Um, but we will get into interviews with, uh, some of the experts that help, uh, help people go vegan without it hurting your gut. So that's something that I'm, you know, still going to look into, but just personally, that's the diet that's worked for me. Yeah. And for me, obviously I have, yo-yo dieted for so many years that it took me a while to figure out what works for me. And I think it changes depending on what I'm going through hormonally, what I'm going through emotionally, what season it is, how I'm feeling about myself. But now I'm just really learning to tune in to myself instead of what everybody else is saying I should do. And, you know, I, there's a lot of the keto trends out there right now that I really like, like I personally feel really good when I add in more high fat, like if I eat more avocados and coconut and, you know, the healthy fats, I just feel more alert. I feel more focused. I feel more energized. I'm able to pop up out of bed with more energy. So I do like some of the trends. Like I love cauliflower rice instead of regular rice sometimes, but not all the time. Um, you know, zucchini noodles instead of regular noodles. I love the cauliflower pizza crusts, which are really great instead of a regular pizza crust. There's some good protein bars that are out there like Bulletproof. We obviously love Candace's Beauty Bar chocolate, which is sugar-free and it's a really good source of dark chocolate with 
you know, great nutrients in it like zinc and magnesium. And so those are some of the things that I know taste really good that make me feel really good. But then I also like to mix it in with nutrient dense carbs. Like Rai said, you know, I tried to do low carb, high fat for a long time and I felt good. But after a while I realized I feel really satisfied and I feel calmer in my mind when I am allowing myself to eat you know, avocado toast, which I absolutely love on sourdough, which I was just saying, or I'm doing sweet potatoes mixed in. I've been doing that so much, adding in some quinoa and just being more aware of having it be a great source of carbs and just not worrying about it. And then if I go out, you know, then I can save maybe the not so healthy carbs for some treats. Um, I think too, it's we're in a time where because there's so many diets, you can start to become obsessive. And I think that's why we don't want to pledge ourselves to any one plan. Although it, you know, I understand some, for some people it works well to have a very specific plan guidelines. Like I'm doing this diet because I need to lose weight to each their own for sure. But I think when you look at things as more of a period of time and how can you eat for the rest of your life without feeling obsessed about, I can't have this or I can only have this. Like, I think diets are, if anything, or should be for a period of time. Yeah, and if, again, if something really works well for you and you're thriving on it and you don't feel restricted and you feel energized and, you know, calm and all those things, then that works for you. I think I once heard in nutrition school someone saying, if it works for you, it works. I'm going to repeat that. If it works for you, it works. It's that simple. Um, and that just kind of stuck with me because we do overcomplicate things. And But, but I will... I will question that a little bit because you can also think something is working for you Mm -hmm. and not understand that you are depleting your body of nutrients by not eating a wider variety of things or you're stressing your adrenals because you're not eating enough, um, that you are like I was when I was on the FODMAP diet for so long, like just not allowing more variety to come in because I was scared, but I thought it worked for me. Mm -hmm. So I think we also have to question, is something really working for us or is it convenient because it's worked? Well, it's defining what does work for you mean, I guess. So you've got to get way more specific about it. But I think just the point being that we are so often doing things because other people have told us that we should or because we're following a certain trend. Yeah. And there can be a lot of, you know, discrimination or a lot of judgment for people who are choosing to be vegan, for example, or judgment for people that are choosing to be paleo. Yeah. And I think we just all need to understand that there are so many different dietary theories out there. Yeah. Because if one thing worked for everyone, we'd all be doing it. Yeah. And, you know, like I went vegan for six months. I intentionally originally wanted to do it for a month, but Josh and I ended up doing it for six months. We got really creative in the kitchen. We were cooking things we had never cooked before. We were way more aware of where our vegetables were coming from. Mm -hmm. Um, We were way more aware of how little vegetables we prioritized in the past. And even though neither of us are currently vegan, that forever changed my perspective and made me so much more aware of making vegetables more of a centerpiece than a condiment, you know, or an afterthought. And I love vegan restaurants now that, and I love, you know, doing meatless meals and experimenting with, um, less meat, less dairy, you know? And, and so I took away a lot of great lessons. So I'm really grateful for that time. 
did it work for me to be vegan long-term? No, but I think it can work for some people. Yeah. And I'll say on my front, I feel sometimes like I get judgment because not most of my friends do not do this, but like sometimes, um, if I'm around all only people that like are very against me, I do feel judged because I do like me and I do still eat meat. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, like having watched game changers that, and there's, you know, debates on game changers, the movie as well, but like just having talked to different experts, it's like, obviously it's not best to be eating a ton of one thing all the time, you know, like I'm sure I can benefit from reducing meat and being more aware of that and having more plant-based meals. I mean, you can't argue with more vegetables is Mm -hmm. better. Like the more vegetables we get, I think that's just like a, that's a foundational lesson. Like how many vegetables can you fit into every meal? There's no debate around whether or not vegetables are good for you. Well, and even in this episode with Abel, which we'll get into, he talks about one of the lines I remember he said was, there's way more in common between someone who's vegan and someone who's paleo than someone who's eating the standard American diet. Mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day, both of those groups, even though they're quite different, believe in eating whole, well, at least plant-based vegan and a plant-based paleo approach believes in eating whole, real foods that hopefully come majority from organic sources or you're at least prioritizing, you know, using the clean 15 and dirty dozen list and that you're eating, you know, if you're paleo, you're eating grass fed, you're, you're knowing where your food is coming from and, and you're prioritizing, um, you know, getting your nutrients mostly from what you're putting in your mouth. And so I thought that that was an interesting point that you may think vegan and paleo have nothing in common, but they really do. Yeah. Yeah. And I will say, uh, I think Abel's, uh, diet, the wild diet is the closest to how I currently eat and mm-hmm. made, and of everyone we talked to made the most sense for me personally. And that's why we wanted to do this because we're each going to respond to every person's philosophy differently and one more than the other will resonate with us. So it's like taking this information we're sharing, combining it with kind of how you live your life, your habits and, and, and creating your own way of eating from this or getting some ideas from maybe different people. But, you know, I think we should all be challenged in how we eat and how we think about what we eat. And we're hoping that this series really helps you do that. Yeah. And one thing I want to say on that too, is that you may hear these different dietary approaches and one may resonate with you and you think you have to go all in on that one diet. That's not really the point either. It's that maybe you pull something from each diet and you're like, Oh, I like this about the vegan lifestyle. I really like this about keto. Yeah. And maybe there was this nugget that resonated with me from the wild diet. Um, let me pull different bits and pieces to like see what works. And obviously like where I said, there's going to be factors like, gut health and hormones and all of that where you may need a more tailored approach but just seeing what really stands out to you and maybe it is that you want to go all in on one of them and that's great you know try it out but the idea is just to listen you know try not to be judgmental try to take something away from each of these experts because they have a lot to share and they each have stories that have brought them to the place that they're at right now and at the end of the day they they want to help other people to be well their intentions are all the same you know and I think that that's really important to remember too 
Yes. So I think we just wanted to briefly touch on the reality that coronavirus is just all around us right now and it's all anybody's talking about. So we hope, too, that this series can be a nice distraction from everything. Um, And probably in some of these interviews, we'll touch on touch on what's going on and provide more sort of like health specific advice for boosting your immune system, which we hope will be helpful. Yeah. And if you want to check out our most recent episode, it was our solo episode that we just did. We gave you some tips for keeping your immune system strong, the importance of self care, especially right now and why reducing stress and staying positive is one of the best ways to strengthen your army of defenses. And today, we're kicking things off with Abel James, who's the host of the award-winning Fat-Burning Man Show. He's the creator of the New York Times bestselling book, The Wild Diet, and celebrity coach starring on ABC's hit premiere show, My Diet is Better Than Yours. He also just launched his new book of humor, Designer Babies Still Get Scabies, which is already a number one international bestseller in seven plus countries. In this episode, we learn about Abel's early upbringing and how his mom influenced his work in holistic health and alternative healing. Uh, He talks about how following the advice of a doctor as a man in his early 20s led him to actually becoming more sluggish, inflamed, and overweight. Uh, The turning point in his life that changed everything for him, including the decision to not fear fats, focus on real foods, time-restricted eating, and overall exercising less. He talks about the catalyst that led him to creating the fat-burning man. He talks about the wild diet, what it is, and how it's different from keto and paleo. His experience as a celebrity coach on ABC's My Diet is Better Than Yours, his opinions on veganism, why he's taken several social media breaks despite having a large following, and finally, he shares many tips and tricks for reducing stress and consuming less. We loved Abel's energy and enthusiasm for what he does and for helping people get after the 2.0 versions of themselves. So if you love this episode, if you could take a screenshot and tag us on your Instagram stories at solo 2.0 podcast, we can share the messages too. Without further ado, enjoy this episode with Abel James. Welcome to the show, Abel. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me here. We're excited to have you. We appreciate you so much taking the time to be here, and we're really looking forward to diving into all things nutrition and, of course, the wild diet and your new book. And one of the reasons we wanted to have you on is that I've been following your show, The Fat-Burning Man, for a couple of years now, and I've always really appreciated the diverse array of guests that you have on. And I love the dynamic you have working with your wife and your family. And I also remember you saying that your mom is a holistic herbalist. That's right. Which, yeah. And that really resonated with us because we actually run a family hormone testing and consulting business with our mom. Very cool. And yeah, she's a hormone health educator. So it's always cool for us to see other dynamics like that as well. Yeah, I think it really... It helps when your family is bought in to some degree. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's oh, my goodness, yeah. Yeah, it'll be real hard to win people over if they're not ready. Exactly. Yes, our biggest challenge is just setting boundaries about not talking about hormones at every family gathering. It's <laughs> <Totally. laughs> so funny. Yeah. Um, so on that note, we'd love if you could take us back to when you were growing up. And it sounds like you were raised in more of a holistic home. So we're interested if 
the influence from your mom contributed to your interest in health and wellness or did you discover it later on in life? Oh man, there's no way I'd be doing this without my mom. Even now we still talk about health all the time, but it was, it's interesting because I certainly didn't feel that way when I was a teenager (laughs) or when I was in my (laughs) twenties for that matter. And it was when, so I was kind of raised I'll just, I'll just tell the quick story. Basically when I was an infant, I got really sick and was pumped full of all sorts of antibiotics. So to this day, I'm pretty much allergic to every antibiotic except for one. Uh, so traditional medicine didn't have that much to offer me as I grew up and, and constantly got sick. So it was partially because of that, that mom decided to get into the alternative side of health and holistic healing and, and trying to find ways to heal me with things that came from trees and plants behind the, behind the house in the woods where we grew up in New Hampshire. So it was really growing up in that world of, you know, anytime I had a rash, she'd find like some weeds out back and make a bomb or a tincture <laughs> out of it. And, uh, you know, growing up, I, I couldn't wait to be a rebel and get outside of that and get like, you know, so when I was paying off my college loan, skip ahead, I'm in my early 20s now. And I had this, you know, Cadillac greatest health insurance plan ever. And I wanted to use it. And so I found a doctor and went there every two weeks and peed in a cup and looked at my charts and followed the advice that he gave me, even though he was probably 50 pounds overweight and giving me all the wrong advice. <laughs> but it was when I basically went outside of that world of holistic healing and and healing with plants and herbs and alternative health that I was raised in to this world of, you know, flashy health insurance plans and all this different testing. You got to dial in your cholesterol and you got to dial in your triglycerides. And the way that you do that is by never eating cholesterol and by never eating fat and exercising and exercising. So that's what I was doing. Then I got really fat. Not, not super fat, but I got more sick and inflamed, which you see in a lot of people and kind of pale. Mm -hmm. And so it didn't take long of following the advice uh, of my doctor to realize that it it really wasn't serving me. And and so then the pendulum swung way back to the other side. And here I am again on the alternative health side. Yeah, we wanted to talk about that transformative health journey that you had because we read that you were doing the low fat, low cholesterol diet, lots of running, and it was from your own research and really changing your habits that you got to a place of being in the best shape of your life or just feeling so much better. So can you tell us a little bit more about how the steps that you even took to make such a such an enormous change? Yeah. So 10 or 15 or certainly 20 years ago, it was all about low fat and fat was the enemy. Cholesterol was the enemy. And that was in, you know, it wasn't just what my doctor was telling me. It was what all of the TV shows said, all of my running magazines. Uh, so you kind of hear it from so many different directions. Right. And you also, especially when you're a teenager and kind of younger, you want to be right all the time. You especially want to be right in a way that your parents are wrong. <laughs> So I was pretty psyched to kind of try this new highfalutin way of of doing health, but it it just failed me so quickly and so hard um, that that there's no way I'm ever going back to that. And also, health insurance is so outrageous now and medical costs are so outrageous now that you can't help but try to embrace the preventative side of medicine and try to, instead of, you know, manage all these symptoms, actually dial in your health to begin with so that you can prevent them. Because, you know, I was in my early twenties. There is no reason that someone in their twenties should be, you know, on a half dozen different prescription medications when they're 30 pounds overweight. Like that doctor put me on 
uh, an antidepressant to help me sleep. Mm. That's not health. It makes me so angry. Yeah. So what were the first few steps that you took or what do you think was the most, and this will feed into the wild diet. We have a lot of questions about that, but for you personally, what helped the weight really come off? And once you saw that come off and you're coming off these prescription pills, did you know at that point that you wanted to make it your life work? No way. No. Uh, so when I first started, I was kind of, this is going about 10 years back and change, but when I first started, I was trying to combine the world that I was raised in. Like my mom was not a power lifter or anything. You know, she wasn't really on the athletic side. And a lot of times you hear carb up, carb load. And I was yeah. running marathons and, and stuff like that, or, or I got into that eventually. And so I just, it was more than anything else. That was the first time in my life that I felt I'd really failed at health and, and failed at something, <laughs> you know, mm, failed yeah. pretty hard looking at my face in the mirror and just being like, wow, I look like I'm 40. I'm so inflamed and I just feel sluggish. This, this is terrible. I have to mm-hmm. figure this out. So I, it was really turning myself into a project where I, um, I started not being afraid of fat anymore and using that as a source of fuel to fuel my runs and my activity and also not being terribly afraid of protein, but making sure that it was clean and then making sure that instead I got, uh, instead of trying to carb load and get all these carbs and whole grains, I instead focused on, uh, leafy greens, sweet potatoes, carrots, and just things that came more from the garden than from some food manufacturer. And it was, in doing that, and actually I started exercising less and doing it at a little bit higher intensity with my runs where I'd sprint instead of go out for super long runs, that my body composition changed really quickly. And I noticed that I was losing inflammation and I wasn't retaining as much water and my body fat percentage was going down and my muscles were getting a little bit bigger. So the hormonal stuff that was going on once I started, uh, also fasting was, was a part of that too. Um, so I was cycling carbs. I didn't kick them out completely. It was more just like cycling them in and out, doing a little bit of time restricted eating. And it was only within a month or two when about 20 or 30 pounds came off. And I was basically, I had a better body composition than I did when I was an athlete in high school. So wow. that was something that made me really mad because I had been following my doctor's advice so hard and I mean, mm-hmm. so fat and I was still exercising so much and I was so hungry all the time and it just was so not worth it that I was mad enough to start up my blog and, and podcast and the whole fat burning man thing to try to help other people. Like if the doctor wasn't going to give the right information and these running magazines weren't, then someone has to. Right. <laughs> so I felt like might as well give it a shot. And uh, here we are, I guess. When you started the podcast, I'm just curious, what was your expectation? Did you have any idea that it would be such a smash success? What was your vision for it? No way. Because podcasts, when I started, let's see, it was like 2011, end of 2011, 2012, I think. Uh, They weren't really, I mean, they existed. But even I back then was like, what's a podcast again? What? what?" You know, they hadn't caught on. Um in the way that they have now and they hit, but at the same time, they hadn't been saturated by a bunch of people who may not have been super passionate or may be, you know, controlled by giant corporations. And it wasn't like dominated by traditional media either. So I, I felt Rob Wolf had his podcast back then. Uh, There are a few people who had been doing it for a while, 
but I didn't really know of a show that was kind of like mine that that was a little more laid back and not going into scientific jargon or like locker room talk but more like something that my mom might want to listen to or be on, you know? And so I decided to make a family friendly show and I'm really glad that I did from the start because I, you know, to this day, a lot of people are just like, well, we listen to it in our, in our car with our kids. So thanks for bleeping out whatever, you know, Rob Wolf said. (laughs) Oh yeah, seriously. Um, That's what I actually, so I think that, that that's what drew me so instantly to your podcast, actually. It was the fact that oh, cool. when I was going to nutrition school to become a health coach, I would just listen to these podcasts that I felt like were way over my head and it would make me feel kind of intimidated by my whole right. field, you know? And I was like, oh, damn, like I'm going to have to become an expert in all these different areas. And it just almost makes you feel more overwhelmed. So I feel like the approach that you take where it's more of a conversation, but you ask really good questions. Um, I really appreciated that. It's so much harder as someone who's like making content or certainly writing a book to make it easy to read than to make it hard to read. And same mm-hmm. thing when you're talking about That's health so stuff, true. it's like really easy to sound smart by using all these words that other people don't understand, but you're not serving anybody and you're putting them down. And mm-hmm. I think when you're talking about healing, any sort of hierarchical situation where you have one guru and then some person who's supposed to bow to them can become very damaging because what we need to do mm-hmm. to heal is, is really build the tools to navigate the world of health within ourselves. You know, yeah. we need to build our own compass. Yeah. It needs to be inclusive and accessible. And that's something we talk a lot about, which absolutely. Yeah, for sure. You do a great job at that. And we want to do, uh, we do want to dive into the wild diet And that's something, is it something that you created before you started your podcast? And um, yeah, just tell us more about it. Sure. Yeah, it was kind of around the same time. The the way of eating and and moving and exercising and training that I've been tinkering with and all the different experiments that I did on myself, I tried to uh, build into basically a a system of working and, and coaching yeah, basically working with other people and coaching them as well. So it took different forms over the years. Like at first I printed it up in Kinko's like 20 copies and just like handed it out to people. And it was in the local chiropractor's office and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it just it kind of turned into a bigger thing and a, a publisher wanted to put out a hardcover book and I'm like, all right, yeah, that sounds cool. And so I, I put it together um, for that. But the principles have really been something that have been in uh, my work in in the podcast, on the blog, in our recipes, in our meal plans, and all the other different cookbooks and stuff that we do. But the Wild Diet itself, as a book, I tried to make it one of those things where it's, it's like if you look up something on the internet these days, it's really difficult to trust a strange website that you've never been to before for the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, so. I thought it would be really cool to have pretty much everything you need to know that's that are the fundamental principles on how to eat and how to move in just one book, as well as with a bunch of different recipes. So we put about 50 of our favorite recipes in there, a lot of them family recipes that we modified to be a little bit more healthful than maybe the generations prior. And uh, it became a book that the thing that makes me happiest is when people say that they gave it away as a gift. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how I, I wrote it is it's something that's easy to read. You could read it in two or three hours on a flight. And then I hope you get it all dirty with 
you know, pumpkin pie batter and all the other <laughs> delicious stuff when you're making cookies and other scrumptious things that are, that are inside that book. So it's, um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed the project. So can you explain and break down what exactly the wild diet is and maybe how it's different from other diets like keto or paleo? Totally. So words are very, very dangerous and squiggly and easily abused by marketers. And I saw that pretty quickly, even with the ancestral health movement, when paleo started taking off, all of a sudden, you know, I was living in Austin at the time, walk into the flagship Whole Foods store, and they've got all these paleo uh, Snickers, basically, like paleo right. candy bars that have like 30 grams of sugar. Mm-hmm. But don't worry, it's totally paleo because it's like honey. 50 ingredients. Yeah. Or yeah, it has 50 ingredients. Same thing with keto. It's like you walk into any store now and it's just like keto this and keto, keto that. And just for kicks, you know, I'll, I'll grab it, take a look at the ingredients. And you know, these things have three, five, 10, 20 grams of sugar in them. There's nothing keto about these at all, but there's no accountability with words and how they're used. And we probably don't want like more government regulation. So anyway, that's just my little rant about words, but I can see that, that, keto, South Beach, Atkins, all these words are so loaded. It couldn't be the natural diet, even if that's a a good description, like eating with nature, which is what the wild diet is is meant to represent, working with nature instead of against it. Not saying we're better than nature, we're going to force it to do our will, but saying, all right, here are kind of the rules that we see around us. Here's what's worked in the past for the generations that have come before. Let's try to work with this and see how we can, uh, you know, make it work for the greater good. Because when you're eating food from a clean ecosystem, from one that's, uh, you know, you you imagine a small permaculture farm with animals and with plants and the animals are fertilizing the plants, that sort of thing. It's, It's an ecosystem and a way of living that can help make the world better at its best. Yes, there are bad ways of doing all these things, but hopefully you're eating with nature. So anyway, the word wild hasn't been as abused as a lot of these other terms, especially in the diet world. And so I didn't try to create the wild diet as this, you know, revolutionary new diet that is super awesome and all the best things. No, <laughs> it's I, I define words at the beginning, what wild is supposed to mean and what the word diet is supposed to mean, which is the way that a human or animal habitually eats. And wild uh, is linked to nature. So following nature's laws, not whatever science says it knows about. Um, so in, in any case, the wild diet is eating plants and animals as close to their natural state as possible, the way that mother nature intended with, uh, without being so manipulated by man or machine like most processed food is, like most restaurant food is. So you want to stay away from things that are novel and new to the human body, like uh, industrial seed oils or just most industrial foods in general or processed sugars, processed foods. And also as part of that, processed drugs and pharmaceuticals that come with a bunch of side effects. Like these aren't good things in a natural wild world. And if you look out there, you know, we live in the mountains of Colorado at like 8,000 feet. So we've got coyotes and we've got mountain lions and bobcats and all this other thing. Uh, You know, bears, even the bears aren't fat most of the time. You know (laughs) what I mean? Like you look at nature and they've got it worked out. They don't have to count anything. (laughs) And I think if we adopt a little bit more of intuitive eating and also with a bit of education as to how we should be eating and moving 
because it is different from what we're taught in school and in running magazines, then we can get a little bit closer to the truth that works for us. And it's a, I'll say there is no perfect diet for everybody. Absolutely. It needs to be different based upon um, not only who you are and your individual goals, but where you're at in your life too. It's not like you'll never totally figure it out and be like, okay, I can eat this meal every day for the rest of my life. Now you've got to keep adapting. You've got to make your diet diverse. You got to cycle things in and out and that becomes part of the fun. Right. Yeah. Um, I do want to touch on you in your book, you talk about staying away from sugar and like you just said, the industrial oils, um, processed grains, especially in the morning. Um, can mm -hmm. you talk a little bit about the, I guess, negative impacts on our health from these things and some swap outs that you provide on the totally. wild diet? Yeah. So I was, I was definitely like a cookie monster. If I had cereal in the morning or bagel or something high glycemic or orange juice, then it would set off this set of cravings where like, I, I know exactly the amount of time it would take until I was ravenously hungry again. <laughs> you know what I mean? It'd be, sometimes it'd be a half an hour. Other times it might be max two hours, but I would be hungry all day. So I'd be kind of eating all day and it's easy to overeat if you're eating all day. So the way that I see it, well, also you have to consider that <laughs> historical amounts of sugar that, that humans ate. And back in 1900, according to what I've read, people ate give or take five pounds of sugar a year, which that's kind of sounds like a lot of sugar, you know, five pounds. But if you spread it out over the course of a year, not so bad. But by 2000, the year 2000, we were eating over 150 pounds of sugar every wow. year. And now we eat more than that. We eat more than my body weight in sugar every year on average. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I mean. It's like our normal is so distorted and skewed that it's almost impossible to eat, let's just call it less than five or 10 grams of sugar a day. If you're eating food that's like from the grocery store that's already prepared or from restaurants or from anywhere that's kind of like out where it's prepared for you instead of you uh, preparing it yourself, it's very difficult to avoid sugar, GMOs, MSG, industrial seed oils, processed flours, and all sorts of other chemicals and junk that has no business being anywhere close to our bodies. A lot of the stuff that's in food isn't even legally food. <laughs> you know, like our standards yeah. are so abysmally low that uh, you almost have to go out um, and eat with the idea that that you're practicing self-defense as you do so. You got to have your shields up. Mm. And as yeah, much... Yeah. Such you know, as, as nice as it would be to like trust the word keto when you see it slapped on front of some some package, you know, and, and buy that product and then eat it, assuming that the person who sold it to you and created it had the be your best interest in mind and, and they were using words honestly, <laughs> using the mm -hmm. truth. But that's unfortunately just like not the world that we find ourselves in. So that's a bitter pill to swallow. And I think for a lot of people, that's like the the first big hump that you've got to get over is like your worldview needs to adjust a little bit. And you got to realize that the supermarkets and the food marketers and even the government don't necessarily have your back on this. You've got to do it yourself. Yeah. One of the things that I find so remarkable is that 80% of all grocery stores contain added sugar. So if yeah. you take away all the added sugar, you're left with 20% of the store and that's not even including right. the natural sugars. So it's exactly. mind blowing because you really do have to become your own advocate. And I always say you have to become a compassionate detective. Like you really have to read labels. 
um, yeah. if you want to know what's in, in your food. That is a crucial skill. And one thing that I have never stopped doing, I think I'll always do that. Like if you're going to eat food and you have the option, always look at the label. Mm-hmm. I guess on that note, what are some things that you would have people look for? Look at the ingredients. And if there's anything that seems suspect, then try to figure out what that is. But most likely it's going to be bad. It's going to be some sort of chemical. There's no reason that should be in there for your health. It's just some sort of preservative or flavor enhancer or what have you. So anything that has the word artificial in it or, you know, that sounds like a chemical. Now, some things might have, uh, vitamins or minerals added to them. And that can seem a little weird on the ingredients. But the most important thing is look at the ingredients on the back, not the front, not the promises, but look at the actual like line by line, ingredient by ingredient, and make sure that you know what those ingredients are. And I'm not saying that it needs to be squeaky clean every single time, but know what you're eating. And that is a bigger challenge than it sounds like. Yeah. Getting back to the principles of your diet or way of eating. So I understand it's, it's essentially clean. It includes meat as well as vegetables. Can you give us an example of like maybe some of a sample meal, some of your favorite meals on the diet? Yeah, totally. Uh, the way that we'll typically eat is every day and and it's less than a meal than every day. But if we're talking about a plate and we're looking down at it, We want to make sure that there's plenty of veg on there. Usually your plate by volume should be around half, maybe even a bit more than that, of fresh, colorful veggies. So think of a salad um, that has things in it that are fresh. Now, it doesn't have to be a salad that's raw necessarily. It's nice to have a mix between raw foods and cooked foods. and we can get into that more later if, if we want to. So anyway, uh, you know, if you have something like some cooked broccoli or some sauteed kale, the way that you make it palatable, generally speaking, the way that we do it is by using very flavorful oils and spices and, and, um, knowing how to flavor things isn't as hard as it sounds. It takes a little bit of getting used to, but it's definitely a skill that's worth building. So Having some nice spices with your meats that are fatty enough so such that when you cook them, think about um, <laughs> most people don't really like eating certain types of veggies, right? Like yeah. a lot of people aren't super psyched about broccoli. They're not psyched about kale. But once you start adding things like bacon to the mix and you start cooking them up together in the fats and in the drippings, or you make a big crock pot type stew, right? With a bone in piece of grass fed meat with some carrots in there. And you've got some, some greens and some onions and some garlic, and it's all just stewing up together. Then all of a sudden, you know, the greens that you're eating and the vegetables that you're eating aren't so terrible and they're not so disgusting. You actually might start liking them. The reason that a lot of people don't is because, you know, at least I had my fair share growing up of those steamed in a plastic bag type peas and lima beans that (laughs) are just so chalky that they're hard. (laughs) so that's not what i'm talking about you know in a survival scenario sure we can make that work but so mostly veg and then the meat is there maybe like a palm-sized portion per meal or depending on how many meals you're eating um not too much meat you don't want to abuse it uh 
and you also know kind of when you're full. It's like, for example, I'm not a big fan of the whole carnivore diet thing or super strict keto where people are eating nothing but steaks and cream cheese. You've Mm -hmm. got to kind of have the opposite of that to help alkalize your body and, and detox and get the fiber in there too. So that's why you want the veg on the other side. And then you make it interesting with all the spices and the garlics and the onions. Uh, and then if you're looking for carbs as well, that's the part that's kind of scalable. So a great source for athletes and people who are pretty active are going to be tubers and below ground veggies. So like sweet potatoes and things like that. And then uh, fruit is something that I see more as a condiment or dessert, not as something to fill up on. So, mm-hmm. uh, no 30 bananas a day or just like super sugary smoothies are, you know, you won't really find those in our house every once in a while we'll make an exception, but for the most part, we're trying to keep sugar low mm-hmm. and stay away from, like I was saying before, industrial foods, foods that are too sugary, and most importantly, foods that when you eat them, make you hungrier. So if you're eating something like chips is a great example of that. I think you have your first chip, and then it's like you're hungrier for the next one, you want it more. So that's a good example of a trigger food that can happen with sweets, savory, it doesn't really matter. When you find those trigger foods, number one, identify it and know that that can be troublesome for you. And then number two, try to kick it out for a little while. Give yourself a break. And and keep in mind, like for my, my wife, I've used this example before, but she totally loved carob-covered almonds that she got from the health food store. But when we got those, like I tried them too, and they're delicious, but like you just want to keep mowing through them. They're gone immediately, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, you can just go through the whole bag. So be careful with stuff like that. And if you do choose to, you know, indulge, then- make note of it and try to be careful with that food. And the easiest way to not deal with that food moving forward is just to not purchase it in the first place. Oh yeah. Can't be in the home. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I know myself with nuts and things like that. It's just not in the home, but um, (laughs) brain knows if you've got ice cream in the freezer, when you're bummed out, your brain knows. Yeah. All you can think about. Yeah. Yeah. So I wanted to zero in on meat because I am a meat eater. I love meat, but I recently watched Game Changers. I'm sure you've been asked this quite a lot and I felt like I needed to change my entire life (laughs) immediately. Um, But you know, ultimately it doesn't work for me and I have SIBO and I'm sensitive to a lot of like high carb veggies and things like that. Plant-based just doesn't go over well. And so we've been really trying to hear different perspectives on this issue and we'd love to know kind of what your response is to that that idea coming from Game Changers that people aren't really meant to be eating meat. And we know there are many different kinds of meat out there. So how do you respond to that claim? And what are some tips for finding the best quality meat? Yeah, great question. And yeah, I I realize a lot of people are thinking about that recently. But the the vegan thing has been... uh, coming and going for over a hundred years now. It's not new. And I want to be careful because it is really tricky. I'm like 70% vegan. I'm, <laughs> I'm vegetarian for like 80% of every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's more in common. If you're going to eat healthy, there's much more in common with someone who's paleo and someone who's vegan if they're doing it right those two have a lot more in common than either one of those two has with 
the standard American diet or even what people think is healthy these days, True. you know, True. if you just look generally speaking. So I think everyone can serve themselves by looking at how to tailor diets to their own body a bit more. So for you, for example, like having SIBO or if you're having digestive issues, like jamming on a bunch of fiber and just like slugging down green smoothies and tons of greens is not really going to work out that well. Eating yeah. 30 bananas a day, which was super popular when I first started uh, my podcast back in the day that like took over the internet back then. Never going to save everyone. And it's like, no, take a step back and look at that for just a second. Where do bananas come from? How far did they have to go to get to your mouth? Where, what? I mean, who's eating 30 bananas a day? That's a ridiculous example. But a lot of vegan foods come from tropical places, come from places that are using absurd uh, amounts of energy and, and oil and pesticides and chemicals to get to you in one way or another. And these giant monoculture farms even if they're of kale or cabbage or something that's totally vegan and totally cool and non-GMO and whatever, they're killing many, many animals um, because it's not a natural ecosystem that makes money for these farms that, that basically have large plots of one crop at a time. It's basically making as much of that crop and only that crop uh, as much as possible and churning that out. That means killing all the animals killing all the insects as possible, you know? And, and so there, if you're going to eat and exist in this world, there's blood on your hands. I hate to say it. And that's yeah. a rough way of like, yeah, kind of putting it out there, but none of us get off scot-free here. We are with everything we're throwing away, damaging the environment. There is no way, right? So we all kind of have to realize that we're going to be destroying something or damaging the world in one way or another, and then mitigate that as much as possible. Be, be very tuned in to why that's important. And you know, like that the water that you drink comes from somewhere and that when you drink it out of a plastic bottle, that plastic has to go somewhere too. Now we can't control everything in this culture. I would love for the milkmen to come back who delivered milk mm. in reusable glass bottles, for example, like yeah. we figured out the sustainability stuff and the survival stuff back at the turn of the century. We don't need some fantastic new vegan documentary or vegan super burger that bleeds to save the world. We, in fact, I think need to look at, at the way that our grandparents and great grandparents were living in this world, which was a much more low impact and much more tuned into the environment. If you're raising your own food and growing it behind your house, or if you have your own animals, you're not going to be plowing through steaks all the time. You're not going to be eating a bunch of sugar because you can't grow it for the most part, you know? Mm -hmm. And so that's looking in the rearview mirror, looking back to the way that I think of my grandmother, and I'm so glad that, that she raised our family the way that, that she did. But my dad and his uh, family, all seven of them grew up on a, a dairy farm that was basically run as permaculture and organic way back in the day before it was a so thing. Cool. And so there, when you look at a functioning environment like that, that's not spitting out all these chemical pools, you know, yeah. it's, it's difficult to say that eating meat 
is something that humans are not supposed to do. When you look at the way that our intestines and, and, and the way that we digest food, I don't need to go through all of it because it's been gone through many, many times. But suffice it to say is like this vegan thing comes up very often, but m- there are so many vegans out there who aren't totally vegan and taking it on as an identity can be more of a trap, I find, as a coach than a solution. Now, if you want to be more vegetarian, that sounds great, right? Like, but that could mean so many different things. I was at kind of my most unhealthy when I was most vegetarian. When I was at my fattest and avoiding dietary cholesterol, I was not eating any red meat. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, you can make this work almost any way you want for your own body, but also uh, animals that are out there are sentient in some ways, but we're learning (laughs) as time marches forward that so are plants and plants actually can hear things and predict things and communicate. And so that becomes very tricky. You have to ask yourself, why am I doing this? Mm. And when someone says there's a perfect diet with absolutely no impact and you're going to save the world, (laughs) it's so ridiculous. (laughs) I walked into a hotel with, with my wife as we were driving back from the holidays. And I'm not going to say what chain it was, but it was, you know, we don't spend much money on hotels, especially because we go with our dog. But there was this little, this little card that was, um, I think next to the internet jack or the TV or something like that. And it said, to save the world, do nothing. Just like a big type to save the world, do nothing. And I'm like, what? I look a little closer and it's just like, oh yeah, like leave your towels where they are if you don't want us to come in and then like leave your bed the way it is if you don't want us to do anything with it. And it's like, (laughs) just because they're not doing your laundry every day and washing your sheets every day at that hotel, that is not mean you get to do nothing and save the world. (laughs) I feel like that's such a damaging way to look at all of this. And these vegan propaganda pieces that come out every once in a while really seem to instill that in people in a weird way where it like tricks them into thinking they get off scot-free if they eat no meat. But that's unfortunately just not how it works. There's so much guilt created. And yes, guilt and shame. So much guilt and shame. And then on both sides. Yeah. yeah. And, and, but, but then when you look at the source of meat, there is such a difference between processed industrial meat and like hormone-free or grass-fed. And so what are your thoughts on that? So that's the other piece where it's like, if you're speaking generally and promoting the vegan thing, uh, I totally get that because if you're talking about McDonald's burgers and factory farm meats, I am as against that as they are probably way more so against that. Uh, So it's like, if you're looking par for the course, eating a steak that comes from a factory farm that's old and disgusting and full of fat that is also, you know, that contains all of these chemicals that were present in the fat of the animal because the animal was abused and, and living in its own excrement and all the just horrific Ugh. conditions, whether it's chickens or, or, or cows or what have you. That is not what I'm talking about. That's why it's important that you eat wild, caught, pasture-raised, clean meats that were raised as nature intended. Because that's one of the examples of whenever humans think that they're better than nature, whether you're growing soybeans corn, totally vegan, by the way, whether they're GMO or not, or you're eating GMO bleeding vegan burgers, <laughs> right. those things aren't even really food. And they're fighting nature instead of working with it. And when your body eats that stuff, it's like, what is this? It's fighting with it 
instead of absorbing the nutrients that would come naturally from eating something like a sweet potato with a little bit of butter on it. Yeah, absolutely. Do you have any favorite resources for grass-fed meats? and Because I think sometimes you can go to grocery stores and it says like wild-caught or grass-fed and it's kind of a little iffy sometimes. Um, So what would you suggest for someone wanting to make this change? I would say the best possible thing you could do is try to find a local source. You know, like start with finding someone who sells backyard eggs. That's, That's a great start. And no matter where, but we've lived in over a dozen different states over the past 10 years or so. And no matter where we are, there's a way to find usually like everything from backyard eggs to goat milk to bones for your dog or putting it in stews and soups and all Mm -hmm. that from local farmers, from local farmers markets. So that's, that's the best case scenario, but that doesn't work for everyone all the time. So outside of that, Usually at at most grocery stores, aside from the ones that are like super cheapo, the ones that are definitely bargain basement type stuff, at most of them, they're going to have at least some options that have pasture raised or wild caught foods. I tend to go with, I'm a, yeah, fish, unless you're on the seacoast, we, uh, we don't pr- pretend that we're not landlocked. We're not like chowing down on the fish all the time. Yeah. Uh, fish is something I believe that should be fresh fish and seafood in general frozen can work sometimes but you know okay so if you can't get it locally at your grocery store most of them do have organic grass-fed pasture-raised options um i shouldn't say most but a lot of them do these days more than ever if you can't find that then go online and there are a number of websites a lot of them are non-for-profit and uh, uh, some are escaping me right now but where you can look up different sources of pasture-raised um, basically wild caught or, or clean meats in your state or in your area. So just give it a good little search and you'll be able to find some decent resources wherever you are. But I'll say this, every time we move, we have to do it again. But every time you mm-hmm. do it, it gets a little bit easier. Have you ever used ButcherBox? Yes, ButcherBox is awesome. They have uh, given us... So, you know, when the box arrives, I'm super stoked (laughs) and like the meats when they're, when you cook them just right, it doesn't get better than that. It just melts in your mouth. So yeah, people like butcher box doing it from afar, I think are doing an excellent job and there are no, they've been doing it for years. There are some other folks and other companies doing similar things. And the good news is like, as this health movement kind of, <laughs> I don't know if it's growing or shrinking at this point, but at least some people have been doing this for a while and really dialing it in and had had enough time to start their own companies like ButcherBox and put this stuff out. So kudos to them. And, and, and if you're listening and you feel a little bit confused about where to find clean meats, just know, number one, that you can. Yeah. <laughs> and number two, that you're going to be able to find your source. It might take a little bit of looking, but no matter where you are, you can do it. Absolutely. So what are your thoughts on supplementation? You know, we often hear that we can't get all the nutrients we need from the foods that we eat. Do you agree with that? And what are some essential, if, if, if you do believe in herbs or supplements, what are some essentials? I was hesitant to believe that, but after learning, uh, and and writing the wild diet and doing a lot of research into, Uh, The soils that we have today, the way that plants are grown, just kind of the state of the ecosystem. And also my brother does permaculture on his own farm. 
up in upstate New York, uh, I've found that supplementation seems like a very obvious thing to do with a bit of research and a bit of like looking into it. So for me personally, I have been supplementing with, I can just do a list of the dailies yeah. for years. Um, vitamin D3, an omega blend of omega three, six, and nine. Um, I'll do usually spirulina and chlorella or some sort of detox greens. Um, magnesium is another one that I try to get pretty much every evening. What am I missing here? Vitamin C is one I definitely hit uh, when the immune system seems challenged. Mm -hmm. For detox, milk thistle mm. is really excellent. Yeah, I've one. used that quite a lot. And there are just so many other different adaptogens, mushrooms, medicinal mushrooms can be really powerful. Sometimes we'll put those in our coffee. Um, but as I was saying before, the more diversity you can get in your diet, the better. And supplements are not prescription medication. They generally don't come with side effects. I see them as closer to food than, than a drug in most cases. And so given that, unless you take zinc on an empty stomach, don't do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so there are certain supplements that can definitely give you an upset stomach or some grumbles. And so it's, you don't get a free pass on all this. You have to just kind of test the waters and do your own research and see what works for you. But there are definitely a lot of different supplements that it seems like it's advantageous to take them on a daily basis because our body doesn't get enough of them from food, from the soil, and just from the natural world. We used to get, you know, the supplements and minerals from our water. We used to drink out of springs. And now our water is, is tap water. is terrible. But if you're drinking water that's been um, filtered, then usually it's missing all of the, the natural trace minerals that would be in that. So trace minerals are another one I like to add in. And then um, I see also teas as kind of like supplements, right? It's, it's not very different when you mm -hmm. grind up a plant and you put it in a capsule or, you know, just kind of in a powder form than in a bag. It's, it's a similar type thing. So generally spe speaking, there are a lot of supplements out there that, that can help, but I'll say that most of the supplement companies out there are full of it <laughs> and don't even put yep. the ingredients that are on the front of their bottle in their products. And there's very little oversight when it comes to that sort of thing. So when you're buying herbs or supplements in general, be do your research and be really careful because it's so easy to be swindled. Are there any brands you love? I know that's for us, you know, we recommend supplements for hormone balance and it can vary per supplement, but it yeah. seems like some of the same ones kind of come up and I'm yeah. wondering if you have some faves. Yeah. So the big companies, Thorn, Designs for Health, Zymogen, those are kind of the more practitioner yep. brands that have a whole lot of different selections and options. Uh, those are trustworthy there for the, for the most part, but you still have to do your own research and companies change all the time. Right. So yeah. you never totally know and you can never totally trust it. I've had a lot of people on my, my podcast and show who I've come to know as friends who have supplements like Mark Sisson in the primal blueprint oh, yeah. and his whole series. He's been doing that for a long time. Um, so, you know, people I trust, I trust their supplements too. And, and, you know, having my own podcast, I've, had the opportunity to try a lot of them. Um, and I'm fascinated by it. I think it's really interesting. We, in on our own podcast and, and in our own business, my wife and I decided to start up our own supplement company called Wild Superfoods. And so some of those uh, supplements I mentioned, 
we're able to put out there for oh, people great. with wild superfoods. And we started that to basically be the sponsor of our own podcast so that we wouldn't have to take external sponsors. And it's one step closer to, to feeding people in real life. So we've been doing that for about a, almost two years now, and it's been going really well. That's great. And I think just for anyone out there, there are daily nutrients that you should try to get. And B12 is another big one, especially if you're more on the vegan vegetarian yeah. side. So um, try to find at least one company that you trust and get your good little daily set of nutrients going. That's great advice. Yeah. I so, love, oh, sorry. I was going to say, I love that you said to follow people that you can trust because then if they have a supplement line, then you know that it's going to be legit. So I, I really hopefully like so. Advice. And if not, then they're getting screwed as much as you are. Right. Right? <laughs> so at least you're in it together. But I think we're not going to be saved by giant corporations or robots. We're going to be saved by each other, mm -hmm. by trusting each other and building community, mm -hmm. getting to know each other better. And, uh, Thankfully, I've met so many people like that over the years, and there are a lot of companies, a lot of people doing great work in the world of health. And, and most of them tend to be on kind of the smaller side, so you won't see a lot of ads from most of these companies. Mm -hmm. So try to, try to look them up and help the little guy. Yeah. Great advice. So we want to get into intermittent fasting, but I wanted to start by sharing that I saw you on the ABC show, My Diet is Better Than Yours, when it came out. <laughs> Was that a few years ago? I think. Yeah, 2016. 2016. And it's crazy because I, I, it just happened to be on TV and my fiance and I watched it and we loved it. And you were the only person I remember from that show because, well, first of all, your client was dominating and yeah. he was losing so much weight and and I just remember everybody was hating on you for basically saying that it seemed like a fraudulent diet. He was, it was a lot around fasting. And, and at that time I had never heard about fasting. I guess most of these people hadn't, but they yeah. were just like, how, Oh, okay. Well, the guy is eating one meal. So of course he's losing all this weight, but he was energized. He was feeling great. He was singing your praises the whole time. And I was fascinated by what you were doing. And I was also really discouraged at how these people were sort of jumping on you. So <laughs> what was it like being on this show and how did you respond to that backlash around fasting? Yeah, it was definitely a reality show, um, especially in that one episode. And the way reality shows are set up is that they want you to bicker and they want right, you to fight. Right. They'll try to egg that on. So there was a lot of that going on. I'll just say that um, because most of the people on the show in real life were actually friends and we still are to this oh, day. Good. It's not all reality. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, a, oh, geez. That's a whole different conversation, isn't it? <laughs> right. But, but uh, most reality shows are much more TV than they are reality. Yeah. Um, but anyway, what is it? How, can you, you mind asking that question? Yeah. One more yeah. Time so I guess on. essentially I wanted to know, okay, so we'll assume a lot of it was like drama around that. So I wanted to know sort of how you responded to the backlash around. Cause in, from what I remember, it was a lot of people not understanding the fasting that you were having your client do. So if you can yeah. explain, or even just how you explain today, the benefits of fasting. The time restricted eating thing and, and fasting is something that I've been tinkering in my own life. I think I said for around a decade, um, my wife has as well, not quite as long, and we do it differently. But also with a lot of people I've coached, it's been very helpful. It's not as much fasting and doing this thing as giving yourself a break from uh, preparing, eating, and cleaning up and, and thinking about food for a while. You're taking a break from that. And for most of us, our problem is that we're 
kind of eating all the time. It, that was my problem. When I started in the morning eating something like bagel, cereal, orange juice, something high carbs, I would want to eat all day. And that's the state that Kurt was in at the beginning. And Kurt also didn't really have the option of working out super hard. He was the oldest one in the competition, had trouble with his knees and his spine. So there weren't many big cardio sessions or super heavy lifts or anything like that. So doing it that way wasn't really as much of an option. But if you're not lifting super heavy and you're not running marathons and exercising all the time or eating two carrots for breakfast and then running for 10 miles to try to lose weight, then you're not quite so hungry and your body fairly rapidly adapts to mobilizing your stored body fat, just like, you know, a bear who's fattened up for the winter will start to mobilize its body fat and use it as a fuel. There's nothing, you know, a bear not eating all winter isn't something that a bunch of people freak out about. (laughs) But when someone says that they're fasting or or trying to eat one meal a day in the evening for a little while, everyone freaks out and thinks it's the craziest eating (laughs) disorder ever. But um, I would argue that it's just a different way of of feeding and thinking about food. And if you look to nature, you know, out here in Colorado, we're surrounded by all these different animals and they are not eating breakfast every day. (laughs) They're howling because they're hungry. You know, they're working for their food. And there's something to be said, like I haven't eaten today. And I have another interview after this. I've been going going all day and your body can adapt to that. And I'm going to eat well tonight and I'm going to eat well tomorrow, probably more tomorrow right? You eat more some days than others. That's another way you can make it work is where you eat kind of like the normal amount of food and calories one day. And then the next day you eat a bit less, you know, uh, maybe even just one meal a day or a few calories, but are you, Oh, sorry. Go ahead, please. Are you getting the majority of your calories in that one? Like, I mean, is it like a 1700 to 2000 calorie meal? Maybe I don't really count calories but I'm so somewhat aware of them. It'll be quite fatty usually, and I'll just eat until I'm not hungry anymore. Okay. And so it totally depends on the amount of activity that I'm doing. Like if I'm running a lot and doing hills and climbing up mountains, which I do sometimes, I go on these little obsessions for a few months, right, where I get really <laughs> active. I'll, I'll be chowing through food and I could eat twice as much food or twice as many calories, 3,500, 4,000 calories maybe if I'm really exerting myself. But if I'm not, And if I'm just like doing interviews all day, then let's see, if I were eating burgers tonight, um, one trick to that is I don't completely kick the carbs out, especially if it's like post a run or post working out or something like that. We'll do them open faced, uh, you know, gluten free or some sort of relatively clean and small ish bread. If we're going to eat something that's like that then we're going to have a small amount of it and do it half or less, right? Or if it's going to be pizza, we're going to do thin crust. But if you do time-restricted eating um, combined with fasted training, which which I've done for a while, lifting and as, as well as uh, going for runs, um, then you you also have a little more wiggle room with your dinner to have fun with food and not feel so like worried that it's going to put, be putting you over some sort of quota, whether that be carbs or sugar or just food in general. For me, I find it's easier to kind of put my eating and feeding into that time of the day and evening. And it's also a bit more when you, when you try to be focused 
and have gratitude. I find it's easier to do that like one or two times a day as opposed to six times a day, right? <laughs> like if, if you're just like having a, a protein shake in the morning, it's hard to say a little prayer beforehand and say, thank you for this food and all the abundance right. or whatever yeah. else. Where it's like you sit down for your kind of first big cooked meal in the evening. And there's something really special about that that does become more spiritual. Now, like I said, this is not going to work for everyone. And I'll just say, um, especially my wife does this quite a bit differently, where she'll have her first meal at usually between like around noon, as opposed to me, it'll be more like three or four, or maybe even 6pm. Um, so she might start if she's hungry at 10 a.m. in the morning, but usually not first thing with waking up. And like I said, it's not going to be high glycemic. It's going to be, you know, protein, fat, fiber, not really on the uh, the sugary and, and carby side. So fasting and and restricted eating can be a very slippery slope. You know, it's kind of like telling for, for certain personalities and certain people, like you don't want to tell an alcoholic and someone who can't really moderate very well that having a beer or two every night is okay. And for someone who has trouble with regulating eating, whether how much or, or how little that is, you want to be careful. Fasting is not going to work for everyone. So I, I just want to put that out there because once again, there are a lot of people who kind of have this whiz bang thing where this is the best for everyone. And you're just never really going to find that. It's always going to be in flux and you have to adapt. Yeah. I love that more balanced approach and that you don't, um, count calories. That's really refreshing. Yeah. I'll also say I don't do this every single day. Like if I'm going to go out on a big adventure or whatever, I may have a meal, um, more at noon or, or maybe even earlier in the day, especially if I'm going to be out not eating for the rest. So it's, it's more just about like being, going back and forth between your feeding state and your fasting state. And when I'm in my fasting state, food is not nearly as much of a distraction. And I find that really great for productivity as well. Mm -hmm. Great point. And because we are conscious of the time with the last uh, about 10 minutes, we wanted to transition to where you are today. And you're obviously doing so much with your podcast. You have a new book, you're coaching. We know that you're a musician and then keeping up with social media and you have a big following. So I can imagine that that's just a lot. And something that we were really drawn to is we read that you refused to post on Instagram for a year and a half, despite your 40,000 plus followers. And then I also yeah. read that you and your wife took another eight month break from social media. So can you tell us a little bit about what prompted this major break and a couple of the takeaways that you learned? Yeah. So it's happened a few times over the years, but I remember the first real time I took a break from Instagram is I was reading just some research about phones and, and social media and all that. And this was a few years ago. And it basically said that when you're on Instagram, it is making you sadder and your chances of depression and being bummed out skyrocket. And it wasn't subtle. Um, and so I'm just like, well, man, you know what? I, I'm <laughs> the point of this is to connect with people and to try to educate people and uplift people and, and, and all the rest of this. I don't want to be a part of the problem. Yeah. And also, you know, from the creator side, how can you not experience burnout if you're posting on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, 
Facebook, Snapchat, and LinkedIn, all the rest of these things, not to mention your email newsletter, your actual website, your podcast, and all the other stuff you're doing, your regular life, your dog has to go out and you need to think about dinner for tonight. It's really easy to get overwhelmed if most of your energy is being stolen by these feeds. Another really you know, pernicious thing that I think happened recently is all of these ads. You, you're seeing an ad every five posts or whatever, yeah. five or 10 posts, instead of your friends, instead of these people who you want to connect with, you're seeing all of these keto companies who totally aren't keto advertising to people to try to tr trick them. And so I don't want, want to be a part of that either. Um, so kind of like the fasting state and the feeding state coming out with a new book and kind of coming back on the grid like we have been for the past few months. I'm very thankful that uh, social media is there in some ways, but I'm not thankful that they've co-opted a lot of our relationships and best interests and baby pictures to try to sell us things that aren't good for us. So taking a break is something that can really serve everyone because keep in mind, none of this stuff is older than like 10 years old, really. A lot of it's a lot younger than that. And we existed just fine before social media. True. Such a good reminder. Yeah. <laughs> Did you start writing your book during any of this hiatus? Because I imagine, I mean, I know that when I delete my Instagram during the week, a lot of the time it gets so much more done. So yep. yeah, tell us about That's your book works. and the process of creating that. Yeah. When I've been writing most of my books, that's when I just like tap the brakes and I'm like, all right, Facebook doesn't get to come, Mark Zuckerberg doesn't get to come to the woods with me to write this book, <laughs> you know? Uh, and, and that's important to give yourself the space because you don't need to have a pro like I wasn't planning to write that book. It came out of the, the space, right? right? So you have to give yourself that space and then who knows, you might su surprise yourself and do something really cool. Yeah. It's the space for creativity to, to come to you. Just, instead of consumption, yep. that's the trick is, is getting yourself into the creative mode instead of that consumptive mm -hmm. scrolling through the feed mode. Yep. Yeah. Huge fan of digital detoxes around here. <laughs> nice. Yeah. So to, to wrap up, we wanted to, we have a few questions, but we wanted to end with maybe three simple changes you feel listeners can make in their lives this week to improve their health and energy levels. Before you eat anything, your your first meal of the day or, or any meal, do your best to put yourself into the rest and digest state. And so not the state of, think the opposite of scrolling through your phone, being all freaked out by the news or whatever. And take a deep breath. And then take another one and another one until you're just kind of chilled out and, and ready to eat and you know you're in that good state. Mm -hmm. So that's one. And then Number two, I would say do something, anything that makes you sweat just a little bit and count that as your workout. <laughs> you yes. can even do that every day or every few days and count that as your workout and you'll probably be totally cool as far as your health goes <laughs> as life goes on. It, it's really, it. It, yeah, it doesn't have to be more complicated. Just find something that you love when you're moving your body and you're getting into it. And, uh, you can tell that your heart is pumping and there's a psychological, physiological change after that happens where, you know, no one really regrets that workout once, once they're in it, once everything's grooving your body's into it. Mm -hmm. So try to get yourself into that state. You might surprise yourself again. And then number three, I would say 
make that space that we were talking about, even if it's just a few minutes and do something you haven't done for a while, whether it's meditate or just like draw a little doodle, write a little (laughs) poem, something where you are, instead of consuming, you're creating a little something. And who knows, it might just make a little spark where you want to do it some more, build your skills like you were a kid again. A lot of us go through school and go through life. And for some reason, we think that's the only time we can learn to sing or learn to play music or an instrument or learn how to write or draw or learn how to exercise or what have you. But it is never too late to do any of those things. So try to do a little thing that's a little more creative. That's great. That's a huge takeaway for me. Like swap consuming for creating. I yeah. really, really yes. like that. That's awesome. Totally. It needs to be like a viral mantra. <laughs> um, so going into what you're really excited about in your business right now, we obviously know you have a book. Um, do you have any fun intentions for 2020? Yeah, all sorts. The book, the new one is called Designer Babies Still Get Scabies. And it's a book of humor and silly poetry, but there's a lot of deep meaning in there as well. So I'm having a lot of fun uh, writing things for other people to read. Like at the the recent holidays, uh, a lot of the kids and the grandmothers and uh, everyone in between was kind of like getting into reading this stuff because it's full of silly words and it's fun to pronounce and the stories are kind of silly. And we need more of that uh, participation as opposed to just, you know, watching football. We need to play more football. We need to play more basketball. We need to do those things. And instead of just uh, reading through a book, like most people do, if you pick up this one about designer babies, it's, it's just too tempting, tempting. You have to read some of them aloud. So uh, that's what I'm excited about is getting other people into uh, creating their own stuff. I've even challenged some people who said they're going to come back, who shall remain nameless for now until I get delivery of their poetry, who said after they read my poetry, they're like, I'm going to write a poetry book. <laughs> I said, if, if you do, you're coming on my podcast, you're going to read some of those poems. <laughs> That's awesome. So, you actually did a reading of some of the poems on your YouTube recently, right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> people should go there and check that out. They're awesome. Right on. And yeah. I have you. a lot more coming. Thank oh, you for great. sending us the book too. We can't read to read Yes. It. Yes. And totally. So how can everyone keep in touch with you? follow all of these things that you are doing maybe on instagram youtube your website podcast yeah look up abel james or uh fat burning man go to fatburningman.com and we've got the whole blog and over 300 episodes of my video and podcast show you can also just look up fat burning man wherever podcasts are and then for the new book go to designerbabiesbook.com and I'll show you how when you grab the paperback version, I give away the audio book for free. So that's over Great. at designerbabiesbook.com. Wonderful. Awesome. Thank you so much for making this time. We appreciate it so much and we can't wait to share all of this. Great. Yeah, information. this is really fun. Thank, Thank you so you. much for having me. Have a great day. Well, what a cool guy Abel is and so passionate about everything he does, which we really respect and appreciate too. We hope that you pulled a few golden nuggets from this episode that you can apply to your own life. And before you go, we'd love for you to subscribe and leave us a positive review so we can keep bringing on guests you want to hear from and grow this community. Thank you for listening. And remember, even if nothing feels right today, you tuning into this podcast and opening your mind is enough. Change doesn't happen overnight. So be patient and kind to yourself and good things will come. See you next time.